0: Hey there. Welcome back. This is Will Gadara and I really appreciate you tuning in. Today is in some parts a bit of a somber episode, but somehow in spite of how somber it is, I left feeling unbelievably inspired because today we have the chef owner of Meadowood, Chris Costo and to talk about the experience of watching his restaurant burn to the ground for the first time. If you've been paying attention or if you were on Instagram or anywhere on the internet that week, you you invariably saw images of that. And while we've seen so much devastation through COVID and seen so many beloved restaurants close, there was something particularly hard to swallow about this one. Perhaps it was the visuals that A closed restaurant doesn't look that much different at night than an open restaurant does, right? But this one, it was clear that it was going to be gone forever the moment you saw that first picture. And so we're going to talk to him about processing through that and the power of a beautiful team and how a restaurant at its best is a connective tissue between a collection of individuals. But before we start the interview, I just want to take a moment and pay tribute to Meadowood. Because, well, listen, I've always believed that restaurants, fine dining restaurants, they have this magical ability, if thoughtfully approached, to be an exclamation point in someone's year, to be a beautiful moment that people reflect upon with fondness for the entirety of their lives, to be a place where people can connect with one another more genuinely than they can in any other place. And Meadowood most certainly was that for me. My most memorable experience at that restaurant happened on my honeymoon four years ago. My wife and I got married. Our honeymoon was us getting an old Ford Bronco and driving across the country. It consisted mostly of staying in motels and going onto roadfood.com and finding the best fried chicken place or the best local burger place and stopping off at ridiculous roadside attractions. And we had a blast. But the entire trip was framed around one fancy moment at Meadowood. And the moment we got there and were escorted to our room, I knew it was going to be one of the most amazing experiences in my life. My favorite fine dining restaurants are run by people who take what they do very seriously, but don't take themselves too seriously and understand the power of levity and humor in their pursuit of human engagement. So we walked into our room and there was a note alongside three gifts. And the note said this, one gift to make sure that you never grow up. One gift to make sure that you remember this experience forever. And the last gift to remind you who the most important person of your life really is. The first gift, the one to make sure that we never grew up was a pair of Razor scooters, (laughs) which we still have and ride to this day. The second gift was this beautiful big platter which sits on our kitchen counter today which was made by the same woman who at the time was making the the plates that they were using at the restaurant. And the third gift was a framed eight and a half by 11 headshot of Christopher Costell. (laughs) (laughs) We knew the moment we walked in that it was going to be one of the greatest nights ever. That night at dinner, we had an extraordinary meal with some of the best service and hospitality and obviously most unreasonably delicious and beautifully plated food. But there was this one course that anyone who does this for a living, you go to a restaurant and occasionally there's a course that is so good and so thoughtfully conceived that you're like, you just hate that they came up with it instead of you. And that was the cheese course because they came over and there had been a candle, a pillar candle sitting on our table, the entire meal. And chef came over and took out a paring knife and opened up the candle and inside of the candle, was a poise or some cheese like a poise that had been warmed, and he spooned it. This warm, beautiful, melted cheese on our respective plates. There was some sort of garnish on the plate. But what I just remember was that every element of that meal was not only perfectly executed, but thoughtfully executed and done so with grace. And so I'm sorry to see it go, but I, and I know I count myself among many, will remember it forever. Welcome back to Weekly Specials. It's the Weekly, weekly Specials, you do, 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 Weekly Specials. I'm so excited to welcome our next guest, although I really wish it was under different circumstances. I've known Chris Costell for, I don't know, one, two decades, a really long time. And he has been running truly one of the best restaurants in the world the restaurant at Meadowood in Napa Valley. But sadly, as everyone listening has surely heard, on September 28th, the restaurant and other part of the resorts that it resides in burned down as a result of the glass fires in California. Meadowood was many of the properties destroyed as the fires burned more than 36,000 acres. With everything that's going on in our industry right now, that day was certainly a devastating inflection point for all of us. And I'm really, well, I'm just happy to have Chris here so we can talk about it. What happened, how he's feeling, and what's going to come next. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we've texted a little bit since that happened, but I'm sure you're being overwhelmed by texts and phone calls from a ton of people. And so I tried to give you space. This is the first time I'm actually talking to you since then. And so just set the scene like what happened? What was your experience? When did you find out what was happening? Where were you when you found out all of that?
1: That morning is a Sunday morning. That Sunday morning followed a Saturday dinner service that was so special.
0: Start I, there. Start with that okay. service.
1: Okay. I mean, cause it's really, honestly, it's amazing. You know, our year for all of us in the industry has been, has been one of pivots and challenges and overcoming them. And we were, frankly, we were pretty fortunate to be geographically where we were, in that we were able to operate outside at both the Charter Oak and the restaurant in Meadowood, and then pivot back inside. Like we were very busy and, frankly, doing very well. You know, we, when we closed, uh, we didn't. Uh, unlike a lot of restaurants, we didn't. We didn't try to hang out. We didn't do takeout. We didn't do anything. We really thought what was in the best interest of the team. The community was really to shut shut it down completely and go dark. And we were able to financially take care of the team members and. Long story short, we felt like we had done a really good job. And we're pretty proud of ourselves and we're very busy. And this Saturday service, we had Thomas Keller was in for dinner. And it was the first time since we had reopened that we had, you know, a big sort of chef VIP in. Because, you know, because there's, there's there's been a lot less of that business, much more local San Francisco yeah. business. There's, you know, seeing some of those people. So, so Wait, Thomas, real,
0: real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt. How long before this had you finally reopened after shutting?
1: July 1, down? we reopened Tram. Okay. And we were inside for, like, five days, then outside for, like, two months and whatnot. So, we put a menu together, all new dishes, as we are sort of have a tendency to do when we have, you know, VIPs and we call them Jordans. And whenever we have a Jordan in, we sort of do new things. It's very exciting. And it was really the first time that a lot of these new team members had ever seen this. Because we had a bunch of new team members who came aboard as sort of exiles or evacuees, as it were, from restaurants in San Francisco and New York. So we had, we had a bunch of new people who had never really seen that. And at one point during the service, I found myself in the service station watching something unfold on the floor. And what that thing was, it was sort of the last dessert course. We, we were doing a souffle, a chocolate souffle, but it was actually a chocolate made of koji that we make, that we then roast, that we then turn into chocolate. It's this very elaborate souffle course. And I'm watching Sean or GM and Kaylee, one of the food runners, doing this table side service on this 4 top. I and mean, been in the restaurant, we don't do very elaborate table side, but we do very sort of succinct, very intentional, deliberate table side. So I'm watching as this happening is happening. I'm looking at the room and the lighting was just perfect. And the flowers, the, the manzanita branches that our floors had put in them, it was all just like magic. The way the the shadows were dancing on the sort of the pitch ceiling of the room, and I'm watching the tableside happening, and I'm watching Thomas's face look up, uh, and his guests sort of looking at the other person as all this things happen, and the smile and the warmth, and I I did like a fist pump like Tiger Woods, you know, like, and I was just like I was so happy with where we had come from, with who we were, and where we were going, that like I I couldn't stop talking about it that night and I couldn't stop talking about it the next morning to my wife saying like it's just it's such I was like it's such a magical place that somehow it 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 stays for me personally forever engaging and as a product I feel like it gets better and it's just like this never-ending spring of sort of of inspiration and 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 fervor and it's just I was just I was so happy about that. And then, you know, that morning, that Sunday morning, I start getting texts saying, hey, are you guys okay? And I, you know, look at our now very well used fire maps, you know, fire apps, fire in Angwin, which is like, you know, eight miles further down valley. So I take a drive to check on the restaurants and talk to the team. We actually opened that day of Charrope. We were closed because it was a Sunday for the restaurant in Meadowood. And as I'm driving south on, on Highway 29 and looking east to the mountains of Angwin, you're like, We've seen a lot of fires here. I'm like, that looks not good, because of its proximity to, to Silverado Trail, i.e., its proximity to people and the town. And I checked in with the team. I went home, actually grabbed my kids, and we drove to this little street by ours where you could you can see unfettered. I have an unfettered view down valley, and we watched the fire. We watched the planes and the choppers, you know, trying to fight the fires. So I wanted my kids to kind of see what they they knew of fires and had been evacuated, but I wanted them to kind of see the process so after watching for a little bit we go home and we pretty promptly get evacuated ourselves cops come to the door get out get out get out and we've done this before we were evacuated three weeks prior we've been evacuated multiple times and it was such that i had no belief that the fire was gonna get anywhere near our house i literally brought nothing with me i left my car we checked into a hotel in downtown saint lena brought the kids school clothes thinking they were gonna go to school the next morning and literally was like i'm not I'm like not, we'll be back in tomorrow so that night, another fire breaks out on the opposite side of the valley on Spring Mountain. We happen to see it because we were coming back from downtown Napa that night, and and you're just like, this is this is really bad. Power goes out of the hotel. It's raining ash. All things that we've seen before. And the next morning, we're like getting ready to evacuate. We're going to move to Marin. We're going to get out of get. Clearly, we're not evacuated far, far enough. And I start getting texts. Hey, Meadowood, there might be some fires in Meadowood. And I remember saying to my wife, "I'm like, what would happen if Meadowood burned down?" But like completely as a joke. I drive down to Moran. I'm at my parents' house. I start getting more messages from people, kind of on the scene. Some fire guys I know. Uh, head of engineering at Meadowood is a little more involved. He's like, "Hey, the restaurant. There might be an issue with the restaurant." I'm on conference calls with people. Everyone's saying it's fine, it's fine. And then uh, I call my director of operations because there's a lot of a lot of texting going back and forth and rumor mongering. And I said, "Listen, we don't know anything. Everyone just chill. We don't want to, you know, add." fuel to the flame, pardon the pun. And he's like, chef, haven't you seen these pictures? I'm like, no. So I'm driving at this point, he sends me that picture, which I think many have seen now of fire just pouring out of the building. And I'm like, okay, you don't come back from that. (laughs) And that was it. And you know, I'm just sort of driving and processing and my wife's crying next to me and the kids are crying. and I mean, it felt like someone died and it still feels in some way like someone died. I mean, it almost seems silly. It was a building. It was a fancy restaurant, you know, owned by people of means frequented by people of means you know, we're okay. But it, it felt and it feels like something really big was lost. And I, it took me for a long time to process. I still sort of am.
0: Did you um, believe it right away? Like in, in moments like that, I know it's the case when I've lost people in my life where you see it, but somehow there's a part of you that doesn't allow you to fully internalize it.
1: I I understood it immediately intellectually and only now in dribs and drabs, am I beginning to understand it emotionally. And it happens when I think about an object our plates or what, whatever that thing is, the new freeze dryer we bought, whatever. Hmm. And you just, you start to realize sort of the, the, the gravity of loss only in respect to the human and, and actual capital that went into the thing. And again, you know, there's much greater tragedies in the world than a restaurant lost. You know, I mean, it, it, there was much greater tragedies that day than a restaurant lost you know, there's people who lost their homes. There's people who lost their jobs forever. I mean, there, there's, so I try, I, I'm very mindful of that. And I talked to the team about being mindful of that, but for us, that, that was our place. That was our center of gravity. And again, only now am I sort of emotionally sort of absorbing it and, and understanding it.
0: I feel like, yeah, okay. It's a building and inside of the building are a bunch of plates and pieces of equipment and all of that. But I mean, to me, a restaurant like that, and I've, I've had one before as well, <laughs> it, it represents not only a culmination of years of work, but also the thing that people wake up and get out of bed to do, not just you and your general manager, but an entire community of people.
1: A thousand percent. And I, I wrote a lot after the thing, and that was what I kept coming back to was that the thing is not the physical thing. The thing is that connective tissue. And it's the connective tissue from the kitchen to the farm, to the front of the house, to the office, to the guests, to the community, to the artisans all those things. There's that connective tissue. But there's almost more importantly, sort of within that, there's that impetus, that energy, the unstated goal of all of it, which is to get better and to be great, to build this thing together. And that's the loss that you feel now is, there's 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 nothing tethering us together and that that work doesn't exist right now and that's the loss it isn't the plate it's the fact that we the energy spent finding that plate or the energy spent sourcing a better duck or the energy spent working on that new dish have nowhere to go and that's just a very unique feeling for someone who's i mean i've been there for 12 years i was at restaurants my whole life that's what we do you you seek to improve you seek to amaze and now it's sort of gone and I think that's what we're all sort of grappling with and why I'm really trying really hard right now to, to recreate in some fashion, a physical space, because I've realized without a physical space, meaning for us to work in, because without it, there's no, there's nothing tethering us together. And that's where the beauty li- lies.
0: Yeah, because the room itself, I mean, that in the, in the opening of this podcast, I talked about what that restaurant has meant to me and the experiences that you guys have created for me and and the people I love. And the room is extraordinary. But it was the people and the things that you guys created that actually made it what it was. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think I speak on behalf of so many people when I say that this has been a year of, oh, man, like so much loss and so much devastation for so many people in our industry. And we've seen so many beloved restaurants close. And then, what happened to you guys had nothing to do with COVID. It was something altogether different. And yet it's not a restaurant that closed. It was taken away. And in some ways, I mean, in a lot of ways, the end result is the same, but it felt so much more traumatizing to see.
1: But in some ways, I don't know, more punk rock, (laughs) You you know, in some ways, like, you know, Better to, what is it? Better to die than fade away or something, you know? Burn
0: <laughs> yeah, better
1: to, bur- exactly. Better to burn out than fade away, you know? I mean, what's, that's that's, that's a better narrative. I mean.
0: It's actually perfectly costo.
1: <laughs> and there's, something, there's something, there's something about legacy in that, in that, in that somehow, you know, there's something about the re- that restaurant deserved that kind of, I'm not going to say it's the end because we'll see what happens in the future, but that restaurant deserved that kind of finale as it were you know flame just shooting out of the thing you know just utter sheer destruction literally nothing left not a plate for someone else to use you know not i mean nothing and yes tragic yes dramatic but like what what followed from it and the amount of affirmation that we got from our community from our industry i don't know it just felt like i don't know it felt like that like It was a that that wasn't a chapter in a larger thing, and it was a well written and well concluded chapter.
0: So, can we talk about that? Because I think in the last six months, or however many months it's been now, like the amount of community within our respective communities in the industry at large has been one of the beautiful silver linings of all this, right? Like a group of vehemently independent people for the first time in our collective (laughs) history are actually working together in our fight for survival. And you felt that, I'm sure, in extraordinary doses. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, we live, you know, we're in a town of 5,000 people. And, you know, we're an hour and a half from San Francisco or, you know, closest city. So I oftentimes feel that we're not, there's no feedback here. There's no, I don't know how people see us. I never have. And maybe that's my tendency towards the negative, but I've always felt, you know, a little, I do say slighted, but I've always felt like we weren't appreciated. I, I, I always felt like the product uh, was not commensurate with the amount of attention we got.
0: A um, little uh, Rodney Dangerfield.
1: A little Rodney Dangerfield. You huh. know, I, I believed wholly in what we did and how we did it culturally, in terms of product, in terms of space, in terms of uh, narrative. Like I've always, I really believe, and, I, you know, we're both people who travel and eat. I always felt, that that restaurant belonged in the pantheon of, of restaurants, but it maybe it always existed there. I, I just, I, my point is, I, I don't know. And I never knew how people saw us. And it's interesting. It takes something like that. You know, it's a bit of a, what you see is it's like you're at your own funeral and you're listening to people eulogize you. And there's something interesting about that. Even more so, I think for the team to see that outpouring and to see that their work, Uh, was felt, was, was, was recognized and was understood. That means a lot. And you know, what goes into restaurants like that and how sometimes you feel as though the emotional math doesn't pencil and that you're just, you are just pouring your guts into the thing and you'll never get that amount of respect, admiration, love back. You just can't, it just doesn't, there's no way that pencils, but at the very least to see that upon its conclusion, upon its destruction It meant something to people. I I can't can't overstate how much that meant to to me and to the team.
0: Can you, yeah, and by the way, like, you're right. That is the, the essence of what we do for a living. You give all of yourself constantly in order to fill other people up. And listen, invariably we do it because the act of giving is the thing that fills us up to an extent that... I can only imagine how emotional that must have been with, with the team so what do, you, what do you guys do after? Was there a coming together event? how have you how have you connected with one another following this experience?
1: I mean at the onset at the onset because everyone was scattered because everyone was evacuated so people were all over the place. so at the onset with just an email I was like, listen, you know I don't have it I was very honest I have no answers. I have no path I have no idea. Uh, you know, just know that, you know, I'll circle back soon. Just know that we're thinking of you, and myself and Martina and the family, we're thinking of you and we'll, we'll circle back. And that, and there's a lot of processes involved, you know, same stuff we were doing all throughout COVID is how to keep people employed, furlough, layoff, how to make, keep people with their benefits. All of that very sort of technical stuff acts as a bit of a salve that you, you have something to focus on. And we focus on that pretty hard because it has to be done right. How we communicate, the team has to be done right how we take care of the team has to be done right. So that acts as like this weird medium through which your care, concern and sorrow funnels. So, but after that's done, after a tentative plan has been made, we took the whole team to the site a couple days ago, which was the first time I think the whole team had kind of been together. And I've been there quite a bit. I find myself just going there oddly enough. So we took the team there to walk it and to look at it. And I mean, it's, 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 I thought, that I was going to be able to go to that space and stand in a burned out kitchen and understand what had happened. Yeah, it, There's nothing there. I mean, I can't describe sort of the degree of just like, it just, it's, there's nothing there. The violence of a fire, like that's just insane. But to, to your question that that was the first time we'd all gotten together and as to whether, whether, when we're going to do it again, I, I just don't know. I mean, we, we have plans and we have events and activations and things we're doing. And we're trying to create a lifeboat for everyone right now in terms of creating, um, frankly, another restaurant restaurant locally to act as a workshop for tram, to keep everyone working, to keep the farm working, to keep it all going. But that's a little ways off.
0: Dude, I, I just want to take a moment though, because I've seen so many people lose their restaurants temporarily and either because they don't know what to do and they feel like an obligation of being a leader is to always have the answers or because the only person they're thinking about is themselves, not talk about the thing, either run away, A, or B, not acknowledge that the thing that was most lost was the connective tissue between a collection of human beings that together created something extraordinary.
1: I don't know another restaurant that was. I don't know another restaurant that was more prepared to deal with this. I mean, you know, we mentioned COVID, but you know, a year to the day that the restaurant burned out, we lost one of our team members who died in a car accident. We helped him work that night, so there's literally a year before the fire. We just had a lot of things, I think, that have that sort of have prepared us for this. Like we know how to. I feel like I've learned how to communicate. I'm not. You have that little bit of you that wants to shut down and not be in charge, not be the boss and not be not be the person people look to, to have answers. But like, that that passes pretty quickly, to be honest with you. But I think I, I don't know another restaurant. And, you know, maybe my, 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 my viewpoint isn't my apertures isn't that broad, but I don't know another restaurant that has functioned the way that the restaurant Meadow did in terms of its culture, in terms of the closest of the people like So either we were perfectly well suited for something destructive like that, or we're going to find that 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 proximity and the value that the work had for us will prove to be a challenge.
0: So you're talking you talked about writing and this is. Listen, I think. There's a lot of people who have seen their restaurants closed. In one sense, you like the Band-Aid was ripped off for you, whereas there's a lot of people that are just slowly seeing their their situation go to zero. And I think there's a lot of people who have already lost things who have not honestly yet figured out how to process through them. Maybe they've like moved past it, but moving past it isn't enough. You need to move through it. And it sounds like you've been doing some stuff. And I just think in moments like that, learning from other people around how they move through things is, is a beautifully cathartic thing. And so could you share some of that?
1: You know, I wanted to should I say this. All I could think of and all I have been thinking about is I want, no matter what happens in the future, no matter what happens going forward, my singular duty right now is to is to create and share an understanding of what the value of the thing was. And this was sort of always my battle, making sure that the team knew the degree of value that was suffused in their work, making sure that the outside world understood everything that went into what we were doing, especially in an age where, you know, there's a bit of an assault, somebody an assault on restaurants, certainly an assault on fine dining, certainly, certainly an assault on restaurants that are fancy with white, with, you know, with with chefs like me like I totally get them and I always felt like I felt then I felt even more so now like an obligation to show our team the value of what they do and I sort of wrote, wrote this sort of eulogy of sorts as I said that that last service was so just so special that I sort of wrote out a summation of the night sort of talking about the dishes but then using the dishes to show all the density and all the content, all the personal experience, and all the things that went into each dish. You know, it's a very rambling, deliberately rambling sort of like, you know, talk about the, the duck and we got the duck from this guy and that guy married like all of the all of the history, all of the narrative that goes into a menu that I wouldn't even expect a guest to understand. I wouldn't even want them to, on a, you know, but that's from, sort of what I wrote out. And I sort of interlaced that with that sort of the tram aphorisms, things we used just say all the time, you know, you know, being fancy doesn't make you great. Being great makes you great. You know, a restaurant's just a collection of people, like all those sort of things that I really, and I don't know what happens to this document. You know, I think we're going to send it to our, our, you know, as, in, you know, I need communication to our people. I'm not, I'm not sure, but that was really important to me because as I said, I look at myself as a defender of the the value of what we do. I think the restaurants have so much value, not just the economic value to the people and to the communities, but like a spiritual value and a bit of a something that lies in contrast to a lot of the negative things of, of the modern world, you know, sort of the deliberateness and the, the, the totally irrational amount of energy we put into servicing other people. Like, if that if people don't recognize the value of that, I think there's a much broader and and, and more more and, and bigger issue. So, I'll share it with you. I I, I don't know. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's possible to sum up how I felt about the thing. And I'm no great writer, but I but I tried. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I would say you're not the first person that I've heard talking about the idea of just putting pen to paper and almost writing. Just trying to articulate the experience, whether for you it was that of that one night, which invariably in the way you wrote it encompassed a lot more than one night or others that have tried to put down words of the entire life of a restaurant. Because almost in doing so, even if the restaurant's gone, the story is yours forever. Right. And there's something powerful about that.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, in in hearing you say that selfishly, it's also about validating the amount of years I put into the thing. (laughs) Imagine imagine if it means nothing or it's never seen as having meant anything. I mean, granted, obviously meant something to me, but there's some, there's a, there's a piece of the selfish at play too, you know?
0: What was the lowest moment? Or do you think you've had it yet?
1: I I would, the outpouring of support that I was talking about earlier as an affirmation like, reading that, like, you know, from people texting me or on Instagram or whatever, like, I wouldn't say that was a low moment, but I would wake up and look at that stuff and, like, just fucking fall like a baby. Hmm. And still, when sympathies expressed, like, I'm fine. Like, I'm pretty stoic and, you know, I can brush things off. But when people come up to me on the street or, you know, it's a small town. You know, I go to the supermarket or whatever. I what are people like, it's a small town. People know me and they know the restaurant. When people stop me on the street and they express their condolences and they fucking mean it. Like when they say, I have been thinking about you. Or, I've been thinking about you guys. I've been thinking about your family. Like, man, I can't. That's like game over. That's like waterworks. In terms like metaphysically deep, what's the lowest low? I feel like we're not, I'm not there yet to be totally honest with you. Because the absence of the thing is is becoming more and more apparent to me every day as I try to keep the team together and keep moving forward. You realize how challenging that is without that thing. And it's, you know, in a year of fighting and a year of battles and a year of like trying to survive, you know, it's like, it's hard. It's, it's, I don't know how many more pivots I have left, you know,
0: but you're still in the game and that's what I think is inspiring. So this month we're talking about grit at the welcome conference and and all the different content that's being put up. It's all focused around grit with the idea that like, listen, everyone defines it differently. For me, I define grit as the thing that gives you the energy to get up out of bed and stay in the fight, even when you feel like you have no fight left. And yeah, you say you're almost at a pivot. You, you lost your physical restaurant. Very, I don't, I don't know of anyone else in America that can say that right now. And yet, you're still not ready to throw in the towel and now you're looking for other spaces that requires grit. And so what is, I guess, two things, a) what does grit mean to you? And b) like, what is it that's keeping your gas tank even a little bit full right now? And I ask you that because I think this is the kind of stuff other people can be fueled by.
1: At at no point have I ever been like, ready to give up. I mean, I, I just think it speaks to the, the same energies that go into restaurants like that. It's totally unreasonable, or, or even beyond that, to, to build careers like these, like it's totally unreasonable to think when you're a young cook that you can get to a certain place in your career. It's totally unreasonable to believe that like you can make a difference in your cook's lives or in your guests. Life. It all, it's all totally fucking irrational and unreasonable. And it's, it, it comes from a place of sort of irrational determination maybe that's grit. i don't know but we we're all this industry is the the most the hardest working most industrious people the most creative resourceful people people to be successful in this industry, you need to be good at so many things i mean you see it in your life when you deal with people within other industries who have like one job you know and you often i'm sure you lament why they're not doing that one job better you know there's something like i am in awe of people in this industry and, and that's, I think that's where our, I think that where our collective grit comes from. What was your second, what was the second part of the question?
0: Sorry. Well, just like, what is, like, what are you tapping into right now to, to no. keep a reasonably full gas tank?
1: I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, in my weakest days, it's fear of irrelevancy, you know, it's fear of like, you see chefs all the time or people who are at a certain point or apex in their career who just disappear and they're probably living happily maybe in, you know, on a beach somewhere. But you know, in our game, and I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've had similar feelings. Like relevancy is real, is real capital, is real collateral. Like, it's really important. If you're gonna run expensive restaurants, you best be seen as being really good to justify that price. You know, I'm saying like it, it, the fuel of all of it is relevancy. So it's important for me that 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 remains so. And while we have other projects we're doing, I learned so much more after the fact than I understood prior. How important. Reputationally, something like the restaurant that it was. Yeah, so, in so. terms of what keeps me going, it's the desire to not lose that thing, especially sort of where I am in my career and my age and with young kids. And you know, you have a you have a life built around these restaurants. I'm mean, sure you can speak for this, but even better than I. And then one day you don't have it, Mm-mm. and your first instinct is probably like, "Well, I better get that back." <laughs> so, <laughs> I, right now I feel a little bit like Wiley e. Coyote, like chasing the Roadrunner. I'm kind of like out over the cliff. Because I've let momentum, like I, I make, I want to make sure that that is is not what happens, that I'm not just what I'm doing is not just the result of momentum, that I'm being deliberate and thoughtful about the decisions I'm making. So I, I don't know. I don't know if, if I know yet if that's what I'm doing. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
0: No, but you're now listen, you're right. I can speak to that. I can speak to how much of our identities can get wrapped up in the thing that we do and in the things that we create. And listen, the week after it was announced that I was selling Eleven Madison Park, yeah, I. there's all these fears that start flooding in around, did I do the right thing? Is, And I know that I did the right thing. At the beginning of that year, my dad said, hey, ask yourself what right looks like and do that. I know that it, the resolution was the answer to that question, but well, people have been given a shit who I am, and da 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 da, da 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 da
1: I forgot about you, like right when that happened.
0: No, I know, I know. This is when I texted you, you, were like, "Who else? Oh, like
1: well, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean, the old EMP guy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's that guy been?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. I'll just say that I could relate, and the moment, like the the weeks following like not you know like get up you go to work that's what you do and then all of a sudden there's no work to go to in the beginning it's almost paralyzing and then there's this beautiful transition where for the first time you get to dream about okay i get to build it all over again and what will i build this time and once you get
1: over wait say it again never left your attic since
0: yeah, exactly. said. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: I've just been up here in the attic doing YouTube shows ever since. Yeah. No, but actually it is one of the things like with COVID. COVID is this time where so many people have had time to relax. And there was a minute there halfway through the summer, I found myself so overwhelmed that I didn't have the space to to dream and started to create space to do that. But,
1: Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did you have an impulse sort of as either the dissolution of EMP or you leaving EMP or whatever it ends up being, did you, did you have an inclination to immediately somehow continue in that same trajectory to maintain in some fashion that which you had, you had lost?
0: Yes. And I'll tell you, I guess this is the first time I've even saying this publicly. I was a week away from signing more than one restaurant lease in New York city when COVID hit. Wow. And I'm not grateful that COVID happened there. Like, just like everyone, there was a lot of devastation loss in our world, but. Um,
1: Will gr- happy for COVID. That's the <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> But I'm happy I didn't send those leases. I'm happy I didn't rush so quickly into what was happening next that I didn't actually take a moment and take stock around what I wanted to build rather than just, I want to make sure and we're, we're, we all have this opportunity right now, rather than running back to what we were doing, we have an opportunity to run towards something instead.
1: Is what you've concluded you want to do now, or whether or not that's taking shape, I don't know, but is it, is it different than where your head was upon signing those leases before COVID? Okay.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's not fully resolved, but it it will be different. I mean, I don't know anyone that hasn't learned something about themselves through this, that they didn't know about themselves before, I Like there's the soul searching and the perspective gaining and the opportunity to reconnect in more deep ways with the people we love and the things that we've learned from those people about us and about them. And. Don't you
1: think, I mean, something I I think a lot about is is sort of the, the economic precarity of our industry already coupled with what we've seen with COVID. I'm having a hard time not being very conscientious of that when it comes to decision, meaning this is a hard industry to make money in and therefore it's a hard industry to support a family. with. Yeah. And again, that was thrown into even sharper lead during COVID where, you know, you see the fragility of all of it. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure that I'm making decisions that, you know, will provide for my family long-term, but not make decisions solely based on that. And I, I think that, I think that's, that's, that I find to be a challenging thing that people don't often honestly talk about, you know, we have to be, we're expected to be poets and dreamers, but I think we also, in this industry, I think we want to be financially okay, you know, and there's not a lot of paths there.
0: Well, I mean, my hope, and I, and I I want to ask you this question, just about how you're thinking about rebuilding, not only Tram, if you do, but how you want to see the industry around us be rebuilt but listen the, the overall theme for this five-month conference is reinvention because listen we have an opportunity to, re- to reinvent because for the first time like we've seen our industry come as close as it ever has to a standstill and it's much easier to make changes when things aren't moving at all right And there's clearly a need, right? COVID exposed the underlying vulnerabilities in human beings. The people that had underlying vulnerabilities got more sick. And the industries that were inherently not stable got hit the hardest. And ours is one of those. And our margins weren't good enough. The people in our industry weren't getting paid enough. And by the way, all of those things, all the issues with our industry are in conflict with one another And the only thing that I that gives me confidence, or one of the things that gives me confidence, I shouldn't say the only thing, but is the amount of community that's come together within independent restaurants. Because together, I do believe we can impact it. Listen, there needs to be government relief, not in the form of a bailout that's happening right now, although we do need that, but in the form of different tax laws that apply to... Businesses like ours that employ so many people, there needs to then be the ability for people to have a better work-life balance and for people to learn a living, earn a living wage. And invariably, the world is going to need to recognize that people need to be comfortable paying more for food because we've never actually paid... The
1: only way. That's, that's the only way any of that works.
0: When you think about... That's like industry-wide feelings about how things need to be rebuilt. But I mean you you lost a lot and I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank
1: you.
0: My dad always says adversity is a terrible thing to waste. You do have an opportunity. I mean that you were never going to have another flagship restaurant so long as that restaurant existed, right? It's hard to you can't have two flagships. I guess you can. Some people do. But you have an opportunity to recreate one exactly the way Right. I'm sure over the past couple of years you've been like, I don't like how I do this, or I wish we had this, or I wish this was different. Yeah. Have you thought about that at all recently, in terms of what you would change when you get to do it all over again?
1: Yeah, I mean, some of it on a very micro level, you know, making sure the kitchen is open, you know, thing, you know, how 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 things are designed. But I think much more fundamentally, and there's a lot more thinking I have to do on this, is more in the realm of that which you discussed, which is. How do you engage in an industry in a way that doesn't feel so, um, I don't want to say exploitative, because I feel like we're all, we're all being exploited. You you know what I'm saying? We're sort of being exploited by, the, by, by restaurants as a whole. But to like, I don't want to walk into the kitchen and feel as though my guys are working too hard, too long for nothing. And especially at Tram, we paid really well. I mean, that we, we, ran, we ran a specific model for a three-star restaurant, which was like, we had six cooks. Okay. So it was a very small team. They made, they did very everyone did very well. It was a really sort of an interesting model. And that's sort of how we dealt with it. But there's a lot more time left to consider how to redo it all and redo it in a in a, in a better and smarter way. I think the cultural part is really important for me. Like we, you know, I was there for 12 years or so and you know who I was 12 years ago versus who I was a year ago, or these are sort of two fundamentally different people. Which I would hope would be the case for anybody in any profession or in their lives. If we're not growing, or learning, or improving, then there's clearly something wrong. But I feel as though I feel as though in sort of re re to redo it all, I think that would be where my focus is ensuring that the progress we made in our later years in that restaurant, in terms of kitchen culture, in terms of work culture, in terms of how we paid, all of those things, that that would be the first thing we write and you work backwards from there. Because what oftentimes happens is you say, this is what I want to cook, this is what I want things to look like, and then your, fi- your financial model, at least how you, how you pay people sort of follows, and I don't want that to be the case. You know, you asked what sort of the darkest point of this whole thing was. I think, it, I think honestly, in, in thinking about it, and listening to your question, I think the darkest point was, you know, a few days after the restaurant burned, actually while, while we were evacuated from our home, and our home almost burned. I mean, we got within, you know, 20 yards of our home burning down too. Oh. You know, as we're evacuated from home, having no idea what's happening with our home, I get reached out to by the Chronicle, who's San Francisco Chronicle is putting an article together about, you know, uh, the legacy of the restaurant, and you know, they wanted they wanted to. I think, I think that the intent was let's. It's a mixed legacy because you know we found people who worked there a long time ago who really didn't like the guy and said it was a bad a bad culture and all that. That that was the lowest point because then you know you. I labor under this assumption that I'm doing things the right way. And I'm laboring under the assumption that I'm a different kind of chef. And I labor under the assumption that I'm doing things different than how I was treated or treating people different than the way I was treated. Because I worked for terrible people, terrible, terrible people. And I always in myself and prided this restaurant on being a different example with a three-star kitchen. And to hear people complain or hear people from you know, 10, 11 years ago, still carrying with them a feeling like, like, it wasn't a good place. It bothers me at a few levels. It bothers me because I don't want anybody to feel like that, first and foremost, because I felt like that for a long time. In, in thinking about some of these stuff I work for, I still feel like that. It also sort of calls into question or throws a shadow on, on the legacy of the whole thing, or at least that was the intent, I think, unfortunately, of, of an article. And that really, really bothered me. Now, I was then reached out to a 100 former staff. I mean, everyone was very like supportive, and that's great. And I think probably in any business, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be dismissive at all. I, 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 it's, I'm really trying to internalize and understand all of it. So I'm not being dismissive. At all. But I think probably in any business, you're going to have some percentage of people who worked for you over 13 years who don't like you, or who are fired, and don't believe, agree with why or whatever that is. But you know, I, I want to be the best example of the thing. And that article really... <clears throat> that article really, really bothered me because I said it sort of it sort of tried to cast a, a pal over a lot of work and a lot of people's work. And it flew in the face of what I said earlier was a lot of my intention of defending the work that was done, defending the industry in which it happened. And that was clearly sort of a journalistic, you know, ready, fire aim, meaning there was sort of an assumption of what restaurants like that are. We're going to find evidence that it's so, and there's our conclusion. And I found that troubling on a variety of
0: levels yeah i mean when i'm here like you said a moment ago and i just want to rearticulate that because it's a powerful and it's a part of my shared experience in the beginning when you are not at the top and you're trying to get to the top all that matters is being the best you can be every single day and everything else comes second and then you, get, you, you gain some momentum and you start to feel some confidence and then you're like, all right, now I want to invest in the culture and I want to do this and I want to do that and you want to do the other thing. And yeah, I guess one of like Brian Candace's older brother, Matt, I, I've, I've shared this before because I think it was really powerful. He, he's, a, he's a pastor and there's a, an older woman in his church that came in one day and she said, I pray the things we're forced to do today are things we choose to do tomorrow.
1: Hmm. That's awesome.
0: And, and as it pertains to the restaurant experience, like, yeah, when we rebuild, I love what you just said. Okay, even if it makes like a couple months before we get to the level of excellence that we're trying to get to, let's start with the other stuff and back our way into that.
1: Exactly, exactly, exactly. Because, because you know, if you'd asked me ten years ago, I, I would have thought in that way. We're like, it doesn't. We're going here. I hold on. If you can't hit, hold on, then get out. And yeah, it's easy to improve your culture when you have great talent around you and the restaurant's full, and you don't have that pressure to it to get somewhere. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of a cop out to say it's going to be really crappy at first, but when we get good, it's going to be okay for everyone. That's mm-hmm. bullshit. That's yeah, that's not fair to the people involved. I, you know, I didn't get it. I didn't know it. I was young, even though he probably in my mind at that time, I thought I was doing things the right way, but I was also young and dumb, and you know, trying to build something. And it, again, it. it it should bother me. It should bother anybody like me that anybody carries with them a feeling that things weren't good like that. Yeah. So yeah, that was my low point by a million miles.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. Dude, I'll tell you what, it's great to connect with you about this and I appreciate you being so open about the whole thing. And I'll tell you what, like when we did the first cookbook at 11 Madison park, I think in in the introduction, the way I wrote about it was, I was so proud to do that cookbook because restaurants are an art form, but unlike paintings or music or movies, which in a hundred years can be experienced in exactly the way they were intended, restaurants only live in the memories of the people that ate at them. And when all of those people die, the restaurant's kind of gone forever. A cookbook, or some sort of written material is the closest we can come to memorializing something. That said the way that Meadowood lives in my memory from my experiences there, I truly believe you created one of the absolute best restaurant experiences I've ever had. And I know that I'm not alone.
1: It's the sympathy that gets me, man. You got to stop doing that. (laughs)
0: i love you so much man and i can't wait to see you in person soon
1: let's make it happen thanks for having me
0: thanks for coming on board all
1: right i'll talk to you soon.
0: all right brother thank you so much for joining us and a special thanks to the incredibly generous sponsors who give us the resources to not only create this content but to deliver it to you Perhaps the greatest gift is that they've given us the opportunity to connect with you here even during a season when we're unable to connect with you in person. Those are our friends and partners at American Express, at Resi, and at Sam Pellegrino. We appreciate you all so much. That catchy music you hear, that's by our friend Aaron Ratier, he's amazing, check him out. And to the team at the Welcome Conference who's been working so hard this year. Obviously, Anthony Rudolph and Brian Canlis, you see alongside me on stage, but then Aaron Ginsberg, who's been running the show with a ton of support by Sandra DiCapua. There's a lot to be thankful for, even during a time that feels so challenging. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And if you want to check up on us and see what we're up to, go to welcomeconference.org. It's the weekly special you do 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 weekly special you li li weekly special do, do 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 the weekly special